Uh, this is Martin Scorsese and... Uh... Ooh, mommy. This shot was problematic. I thought, yeah, boy, we're in trouble now. And that's the way it came out. It was really nice. On this day, I remember it was a breaking point with me. Of course it's not true. Wait, so yeah, yeah, okay. It was one of the great all-time people. I broke the mold there, didn't I? Especially clenched. <laughs> you know, occasionally in art you get lucky. A little device that was in my nose, I put on uh, the, the chocolate, gave it to the rat, and the rat is now running around with that device. Time flies when I'm with you guys. I hope that everyone enjoys listening to people talking about something that they shouldn't be talking about. Yeah. Hello, this is Eugene Kotliarenko, and welcome to another episode of Director's Commentary. This is going to be a fun one, a Instagram account that I've been obsessed with for many years uh, called Free Movie Ideas, run by Emerson Rosenthal. That'll be fun to have Emerson on the show. We can talk about the account. And really, I just love so many of the posts. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to read them out loud and talk about the potential for some of these ideas, these free movie ideas to be movies? Uh, yes, it will be fun. So we're just waiting for Emerson to join. I've always thought the idea of quote unquote giving intellectual property away for free feels very obvious and pure and noble and like very much in the ethos of I think the better instincts of millennial kind of culture. And so, um, but it's very rare that people do that. Um, and so many of these ideas are so good that it's almost shocking that it continues and has continued for four years. But Emerson's here, let's let him in and we can uh, discuss it together. And I don't know if he wants me calling you know, him out as the creator. Hello, Emerson. Hey, Eugene, how are you? Good, buddy. Thanks for joining me here on Director's Commentary. I was just saying, are you okay that I'm, I mean, is it a, it's not really a big reveal that you run it because you did do a bunch of lives last year and earlier this oh, year. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. No, it's totally, but, it's me. But did you try to keep it kind of um, anonymous for a little bit? No, never, never. really. It's, it wasn't, it seemed like extra effort for no reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's good. I mean, I was just also saying before you came on how I think one of the better qualities of, you know, and I'm not, I don't think there are a lot, there is definitely some good things about like millennial culture and one of them is kind of like in its heart of hearts, millennials, I think, do want like information to be free and this sort of yeah. ethos because we were all kind of raised at the, the birth of, you know, a peer to peer sharing and stuff like Napster, LimeWire and stuff. And we were the first to have like a taste of like, hey, you know, media could be free. And um, but it's actually it really, should it should be free. I, I agree. And I, I mean, the trick of like, streaming and subscription services is that like it tricks you into thinking that you're getting something for free because you just forget and then you're looking at your bill and you're like, holy shit i'm like broke because i have like subscribed to like six things but um i think it's very rare that people deliver on that um and you know oh hey what's the bird's name mabel mabel Mm -hmm. um, and I just think it's beautiful that you have been delivering on that free entertainment concept, uh, free movie ideas for 
I guess it's four years now. It took me about 12 minutes to scroll all the way back to the bottom because there's so many posts. Um, and it's amazing there's so many posts. And uh, you just keep doing it for, for the love of the game and because it's probably fun. So I, what I really want to do for most of the episode is just go th- like read them out loud and kind of like enjoy them and riff on them. But do you want to... Well, let's actually, you know, let's read a few and then we can kind of get into the backstory of how you came up with it. We can talk about screenwriting and, and movies and all that. Is it okay if we read a few? Yeah, just first I want to say thank you for having me on the sure. pod. I, um, I, don't call it, since... I don't call it a pod though. I, I refu- We don't call it, we call it a cast here. Oh, I, I thought you didn't call it a cast. I was listening to an episode and uh, it got a little confusing. No, no, no. We don't call it a pod because pod comes from the word iPod. And it's all uh, part of a big Apple marketing shill thing. So we call, we it, call a, it a cast. Cast, you know, can relate to broadcast, can relate to a cast of characters. We like that. I like that. Yeah, cast is cool. Um, okay, so. Broadcast movie, great movie. But right. yeah, no. Um, We're excited to have you on the cast, me. yeah um like as ever since we met I've always kind of had like this like aspirational goal that's sort of like a work in progress to be a colleague of yours because I really do think you're a filmmaker of our time and so you know to be able to to finally maybe be at a point in like my own abilities just like sort of as a screenwriter to go one-to-one is, is, is really exciting. So thank oh, you. Oh yeah, man. I'm, I'm excited to talk about whatever you want to talk about. I just think that this is such a, a, a brilliant thing that you've been doing for so long that it just deserves a little bit of a spotlight. And I bet not enough people have actually read these out loud. I'm sure if you, if you're hanging around, you see one that cracks you up and you're next to a friend, you probably read it out loud to them or something, but you know, let, let's, let's kind of sing it from, you know, the top of the mountain here. Um, Sweet. And I kind of grabbed them at random. Um, and then, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to talk um, about the script that you were writing um, earlier this year. It's called like, uh, Scream- what's it called? Screamo? What's it? Uh, Tommy? Well, when you, when you were live stream writing a oh, script, what was that called? For Nano Screamo. Yeah, uh, Nano Screamo. November Screenwriting Month. Oh, that's what it was? And what was the yeah, what was the name of, what was the what was the name of the movie? Uh Tommy. Oh wow. You know, there is already there already is one named Tommy. Not with an I instead of a Y. Nice balls. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just, you know, these are all important things for aspiring screenwriters and filmmakers out there. Make sure, you know, you don't do exactly the same spelling as another famous movie. Like uh imagine you were trying to write a movie called The Godfather. That, right yeah. now that um, could be a, a troublesome for you could be tricky or even a movie called the godfather 2 exactly exactly and even if you spelled it with two d's like the godfather with two d's or something double d's yeah. like the godfather 2 like also yeah yeah exactly like dumb and dumber two. dumb and dumber 2 t-o yeah <laughs> um yeah exactly okay so uh what do we got here? From June 15th, 2022. So this is from recent times. Sometimes mm-hmm. you do feel like the posts are informed by current events and stuff like that. Sometimes it just feels like it's from the uh, kind of depths of your soul. Um, this one says, a property dispute between feuding neighbors in flyover country. One, a lifelong Democrat. 
and the other, a staunch Republican, turns into a cross-country buddy odyssey where both will discover that their respective parties don't give a shit about either of them at all. Um, and so, and then, and the captions, sometimes the captions are quite beautiful. This would never get made, but please indulge me my fantasy of boomers getting blackpilled. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, do you, can I just kind of give you an a, a overview of where that one came from? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a buddy comedy. I love a buddy comedy. And then, of course, the best buddy comedies have to do with the buddies being at odds with each other. Where did, where did this one come from? Uh, well, I do um, in the stories part of uh, uh, these of the account, I post a lot of news headlines. Oh, uh -huh. and it was a spate of like really, really, really depressing day after day. Just like I'll go through Apple News and just screenshot a bunch of stuff that feels um, like it could be a movie. And man, that like couple of days that this one was happening was just miserable. You know, it was like it was like. Uh, uh, rights on one side, war on the other side, the environment on the other side. And, you know, was thinking about um, um, some phone calls that I had had with some of the boomers in my life and how they were sort of starting to get hip to the idea that like, nothing's gonna fucking happen good. This was Maybe during the kind of um, Supreme Court spree period, right? When they kind of just roe v wade yeah, and the privacy like rights everything yeah yeah well I, I mean i think there's also something really like kind of beautiful about this one which is that that's how i always feel about people who are extremely like political and like polarized and they're like polar in their political opinions like mm -hmm. don't you get it man like you're shilling for these like you know kind of basically corporate lobbyists like that, right. they, these like corporate, like, you know, little puppets and you're shilling for them. And, you, and you've just chosen a team that as close as you can imagine aligns with your kind of projected values. But in fact, they don't really care about your values. They don't really, they're not really going to represent your interests. They're just working for Corporation X, Corporation Y, depending on who funds them more. And uh, it's a beautiful kind of realization that I think especially older people who have become like polarized a lot in the last, you know, 10, 15 years need, they need this story. I, I think for one, I mean, this definitely like the foundation of this comes out of the fact that there really are few movies that address the boomer experience. I mean, there's the big chill right way back when well essentially and, every movie until like the year 2000 kind of addresses the boomer experience because it's like boomers were the kind of dominant storytellers in hollywood for like i don't know 30 years you know that's true but not in, in a way that really felt like i mean i guess you know every movie is sort of a snapshot of the time that it is coming out but yeah. that really felt like it was examining the experience and understandings of the lifestyle changes that were happening over the course of their lives. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's the big chill, which really does feel like that examination. And it's interesting because um, that one, you get a lot of people who are just like, ah, oh, this is like fucking cringe boomer nonsense. Everybody's so privileged and like, man, I wish right. we things like that. And then the other side of it, which is actually like, it's a really sad movie about people who, trade in their ideals for sweet nikes by the end and that 
kind of movie really doesn't feel like it exists or speaks to the boomer experience right now. There's stuff that goes a little bit older, like the Kaminsky method, right? But we, that's definitely like <laughs> yeah, the Kaminsky method. Well, yeah, between, where, like, where's yeah. the check-in, right? Like the question is like, where's the post big chill check-in? I'm sure if we kind of thought about it really hard, we could kind of find it in the 90s and 2000s and 20 teens. I feel like in a weird way, all of the kind of like old man genre movies like Wild Hogs and Space Cowboys mm -hmm. and Last Vegas are these weird attempts to, of course, quite obviously cash in on like the elderlyization of like famous boomer actors. And so right. in inevitably it's like, these like older actors like Jack Nicholson and whatever, Tommy Lee Jones, Morgan Freeman. And I think Tim Allen is in Wild Hogs. Um, they, you know, they, it's them getting older and how that affects their like, you know, physical, but also their like value system. But it's not big chill-ish. None of those films are big chill-ish. Tim Allen is a really good example of that. A lot of those other guys like Tommy Lee Jones, right, is on the like upper end of boomerdom yeah it's right? true it's true jack jack nicholson morgan jack freeman they're, not all, they're, they're all older it's true they're all he's a boomer icon and like you know the movies that he came out with were like for the boomers. boomer yeah. text right but at the same time he himself existed uh, apart from the boomers as part of another generation and the only yeah. one you know is, is like i would love a movie where like tim allen goes through some type of like boomer crisis but it's never going to happen because anybody who would be making the type of thing like that uh wouldn't be thinking to cast tim allen which is one of those weird discrepancies because it's like there's still boomers who are making these decisions but those boomers are out for blood in the same way that the boomers on the opposing side are yeah, I are, the, the people who make the decisions in this country are you know, in terms of culture, um, regardless of which side of the aisle they fall on, do have the perspective of the two characters in this film that you have suggested on June 15, 2022. So they're not going to allow for like a kind of interrogation or kind of nuanced, uh, multi-layered view of an impasse or, or anything like that. You know, um, what I did um, get in one of the comments, though, is that there is a movie uh from, I want to say, uh, Sweden. It's from like one of the Nordic countries called like Altra or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, A-A-L-T-R-A. Yeah, it's called Altra and it's from 2004. And if you'll indulge me, the log line is after discovering that his neighbor's farmhand has been sleeping with his wife, Ben rides out into the fields to confront him. In the resulting fist fight, both men fall into the gaping jaws of a combine harvester. Upon awakening in the hospital paralyzed, the two rivals, now paraplegics, decide to hitchhike to Finland, where they hope to obtain a hefty settlement for their injuries at the corporate headquarters of the Combine's manufacturer, Altra. Interesting. I like and that's that. like, I feel like this one is like, I did, I've never seen or heard of that movie in my life before, but the same thing is there. That I one mean, is I think, but I think it's it. also... I mean, it's a common thing for, first of all, I love you reading like a real log line because clearly the free movie idea like project is very log line. It's all log lines, right? Yeah. It's like log lines. Um, I mean, but look, the, 
I mean, you can go back to it happened one night, you know, that's almost 90 years ago. Like the road buddy road movie is not about buddies. It's about people who like are at each other's throats. And that, that's where the fun and the conflict and the tension come from. And you can come up with like, hundreds of examples of that from Scarecrow to trains, planes, automobiles to um, even in a movie like uh, Tulane Blacktop, where like there's a third party that enters and like adds complexity to the kind of friendly dynamic of the, you know. Right. That's where like the most obvious, like diametric opposition you can see is it like a click away from everything right is yeah. like in the comments you've got a lifelong democrat yeah. and a staunch republican you've got like a a libtard and a conservative who are going at it using copy and pasted points or like yeah things that they've and then heard when, over when does the humanity uh enter right when do they stop talking like sound bites and start getting real all right let's move on to the next one um cool in search of an Instagram-worthy photo location, a content creator takes a few wrong turns and ends up discovering a charming small American hamlet that has remained unchanged by the outside world since the 1950s. And why don't you read the caption? Uh, it's Pleasantville, and it's the village, and it's Krippendorf's tribe, and it's Manderley, and it's the Coca-Cola kid. And, you know, you like to get the uh, Can you think of any like, others, um, question mark? We call them idealists, because I don't like the term followers, because I don't think anybody's, like, following this account other than in, like, the verb form of, like, waiting to see what's going to come I'm next. Following but... this, I'm following this account closely, and honestly, how would you feel? First of all, I like, the, I like that idea. It's really funny. It's like, I, I, I actually did get a pitch um, they, a company sent to me, I'm not going to get super into details, but it's about like a really popular contemporary influ It's like they, it's built around this influencer and post spree. They were mm -hmm. like, and here's the thing. He like finds like a VHS camera in his like grandma's garage. And then he mm -hmm. turns it on and he gets sucked back into the 1980s. <laughs> and, 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 and ultimately, I was like, I don't want to do this for like a bunch of different obvious reasons. Um, yeah. But um, but I mean, it, it, the idea of the influencer just like going back in time is is actually has comedic potential and also is inherently cringe, um, which is I think part of the project is like you're also making fun of the genre conventions and like formulaic plots that have characterized Hollywood um, since the very beginning. Um, and this clearly right. is, is that it's just take update Pleasantville with influencers. You update Pleasantville with an influencer, but then like, you know, I, I started to think about what other examples of that were out there. And then the immediate one that I think is hilarious is Manderley, right? Not yeah. a lot of people have seen no, I like Manderley. I like Manderley a lot. And I think it's, you know, sort of an understanding of race politics that only somebody who's not from the United States could, could maybe yeah. come yeah. up with. But at the same time, um, it really is like, what would an undiscovered tribe be like in the United States of America? Um, I was gonna say, and, there is a movie I liked when I was a kid. Um, star i mean i didn't like it but it was on like comedy central all the time and i probably watched it twice starring like john travolta i think and it's about like these um 
he, he gets lost or something and somehow ends up in like this completely replicated 1950s town but actually it's like it's like a communist town um where they're uh-huh. trying they're trying to teach communist spies how to like um how to go to america and infiltrate america um and so but all they know about american culture is from the 1950s because of the iron curtain okay it's a movie called the amazing yeah it's a movie called the experts that's what it's called from 1989 the experts and let me read you a little bit of the plot in the soviet union on the eve of perestroika groups of potential soviet spies are trained in a town made up to pass for indian springs nebraska the denizens of the town speak perfect english and go about their days as Americans to train the cadets to fit into American society. Uh, Ding, 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 ding. Smith hires New York City club goers, John Travolta and Eric Gross to teach modern ways to the outdated town under the auspices of opening a nightclub. (laughs) That's beautiful. That's like, that's like a perfect, that's a perfect log line. And like, I only wish I could have come up with something like that for free movie ideas. I'm going to watch this movie immediately. I, I honestly and saw, I probably saw it a bunch when I was like six and seven years old. And then I didn't think about it for like a while. And then maybe when I was like 15, I saw Truman Show. And I was like, uh-huh. Truman Show, this is just a ripoff of that John Travolta movie where he has to like <laughs> teach the like Russians how to be American. Yeah, uh, this that reminds me of a, a movie idea that I did recently, which is like Red Dawn. Uh-huh. But when the um, Russians or whoever it is, like, arrive to take over America, um, the American youth who end up meeting them want to help. Mm, so, right, that's so good. Like, right. The, fighting the, communism. The DSA, they're like, yeah. They embrace yeah, the Chinese. Like, the DSA embracing the Chinese. So I put this, um, I, I started, I guess, to expand the reach of this account. I started to put these on reddit um once a month i'll just do like a giant dump of all of the month's ideas um onto the screenwriting uh subreddit uh-huh. and uh i posted that one and somebody reached out to me and they were like hey you know like i'm really interested in working on this idea uh what else could you tell me and i started to uh dig into it with them i was like well on one side right like you've got accelerationism and I sent the Wikipedia page yeah. and like some <laughs> Nick Lamb links or whatever. And on the other side, it was like, well, you sort of got to think about what's interesting about a movie like Red Dawn and what's not interesting about a movie yeah. like Red Dawn. What I didn't think was interesting is like the actual geopolitics of it. But what I uh-huh. did think was really interesting is like, oh shit, we learned how to make something explode in Mr. Stevens class. Let's try that against the Russians. Yeah. Right. This like practical American homespun violence. Yeah. That was really, um, um, it felt really good for a movie like Red Dawn when it was happening. It probably feels really scary um, in the age of homegrown terror now. But uh, it's interesting to think whether the person that you communicated with via Reddit would ever, would ever. Um, sort of naturally look at your idea through that angle. So it's actually really good that, that, that you guided them or you, that you offer them these positions. And actually what you're doing is what they refer to as like, uh, you know, exec work, producerial work, right? A producer conceives of an idea, then hires a writer, then guides the writer in the direction 
of the idea that they want because you know that reddit guy is just going to be like like copy paste red dawn like basically what i did in one second just copy paste red right. dawn onto dsa helping the chinese now but here's another thing to be aware of and you've kind of are doing it organically but maybe you are also mildly brainwashed like did you did you watch the new um uh top gun movie i did yeah so like i'm sure you noticed that in that movie they are not allowed not they as characters but the filmmakers are not allowed right. to specify which country this like you know big geopolitical problem is happening in it's like right like there are no more enemies because like the box office is global and we have to be able to release this everywhere and stuff. Um, and we're not allowed to say like who the bad guys are in a story anymore because like everyone has been sort of like psyop to believe that deep down like America is super evil and it's not like a fringe opinion anymore. It's like something everyone kind of like secretly like is told is the, is the truth. So we can't have any, we don't have the, we don't have the moral grounding to create like foreign enemies anymore. Well, in the original Top Gun, uh, yeah. the same thing is the case. They never mention who the enemy is. The only thing that they do mention, because I watched the new Top Gun and then I watched the old Top Gun for yeah, the first me. time, just so yeah. check it out. And um, they use like the term MiG to refer to the aircraft, which I guess is a Russian made aircraft, but they never call the enemy anything but like the enemy or like bogeys or whatever the fuck the term is that they use for it. Um, and it was at a time where we weren't actually at war with anybody. It was possibly drumming up support for what would happen uh, uh, by proxy against the Russians um, in the nineties. But uh, I think well, this, well, when, when was the like kind of proxy war in Afghanistan happening? Not during the same um, time as the original Top Gun? Anyway, I'm, ha I'm, happy to, I'm, I'm happy to be corrected. I'm happy to know that this is the position of Jerry Bruckheimer and, uh, you know, uh, 1986 and two, uh, 2022, or, well, or well, really 2019. What did you say? Here's the thing about the old Top Gun is that, like, what I didn't like about it as much is that the United States that they are proposing is real. Right. Like they're talking about the United States that the people who are watching the movie live in. And what I loved about the new Top Gun is that the United States of America is just as fictional as their enemies. You mean just the way that it's like portrayed through like the military brass and the bar and like the, the lifestyle of like uh, of um, Jennifer Connelly and stuff. It's a country that is like purely fictional. And I think it's the kind of fiction that like everybody that goes to watch the movie is indulging in almost knowing that that's the fiction versus being like, oh yeah, this is really how things are today. But, okay. So maybe someone watching Top Gun 1986 would have seen the beach volleyball and the motorcycle and all the especially the, people and, not in the United States of America. Yeah, and 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 but people in the US might have depending on their position, let's say they were 30 somethings who had been kind of alt in their 20s and the 70s and were living in like, you know, and depending on where you lived, in the 80s could have been a very gritty moment, a gritty environment. They could have said this is bullshit too. You know, they could have said, Definitely. oh, this, this depiction of America is total bullshit. 
and like is not grounded in reality. But we also just have a lot more like we have a lot more fodder and a lot more kind of like information sources for our cynicism now, you know, like that was a monoform kind of <clears throat> monolithic culture that movie was released in. And now, you know, most clickbait is of like a negative perspective. And so our perspective on reality is super blackpilled because of all of like the info sources being clickbait. Yeah. You know? Think about the opening of the movie where it's really positioning us against drones and like, yeah, it's sort of a stand in as not just like the United States officers against the robots that are coming to take their jobs, but right. almost humanity against. Automation. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That that doesn't really get revisited to. I mean, obviously, one of the themes is that the only plane that's going to be able to like stop the enemy is like an old timey one that can do things. Run by that, a like, human. Yeah, yeah, run by a human. But uh, that's true that that like that initial conflict is quite strong and is then just hinted at throughout the rest of the film. Okay, let's get to another one. Okay, this one was right. interesting. This one was interesting to me. May seventh, twenty twenty two. When you die, you go to a data center where a magical clipboard gives you data. I just said data center, but then I said data about anything from your life. Numbers of hugs given, times you swore, lies versus fibs, etc. Those numbers are worth points that you can use to jockey for a better position in the afterlife or even put towards a reincarnation. This is the story of a guy who finds out that his data is out of whack thanks to a person who was secretly tormenting him throughout his life. Funnily enough, that person just ended up at the data center too. Okay. <laughs> so so that, that's, that's a lot. That's a big one, you know, because the whole first yeah. few sentences, whole first few sentences are like establishing the world. Yeah. And so that world is a, a, a fantasy concept. And I love a fantasy concept, especially one about, you know, the afterlife. You got, it's a wonderful life. You got uh, what they defending call- Defending your life. De defending your life. You have uh, the Pal Pressburger movie, A Matter of Life and Death. Um, Having to wait. There, Even, there's there's a like, Corieta film I believe about um, the afterlife and people kind of like interacting on in like a way station. Um, isn't there afterlife? Is that the Corieta? I think so. Yeah, let me look that up. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's the one. Um, so um, so I do like this idea because this also is kind of plays to the like kind of like Chinese point system, you know. Social capital. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's called afterlife. Yeah, exactly. So social what if social, social capital. capital in right. And what if that social and what and what if instead of the Chinese government assigning you points, it was it, um, yeah. it was the man upstairs or woman. Right. Yeah. And then there's a um, great a great question here in the caption. How many points do you think you've racked up? by this point in your life. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the, the call to action for the audience, which is sort of the important, important social media. Definitely, you're, you're, really, you're really deciphering social media. Well, I mean, I think when the posts go mini viral, which some of these do, you do have a lot of interact, or organically you have people commenting on like, you know, what to do, what to say, how to like take this to the next level. My the only thing called action that I can really count on is 
asking for title suggestions. Titles that people love to do punny ass titles because it makes them feel yeah. fun, fun and smart. Okay, smart. so, um, so his thing, his data is out of whack thanks to a person who was secretly tormenting him throughout his life. What does that mean? Um, I guess that's maybe comes from a personal place, but like, I guess I was thinking about like, what if somebody who I had wronged or had thought that I had wronged them yeah. was just always like wishing for my downfall at okay. various points and not only wishing for my downfall, but like trolling like, you or something I, actively trolling so that you would have like negative. Yeah, yeah, but actively, indirectly trolling so that you would negatively respond to a bunch of, like, life stimulus. Right, exactly. Just slowly making things, like, a little bit worse at all times. Sorry, I think that's a bit too far-fetched for me. Okay, how about this one? Now, this one was a big hit because sometimes simpler is better. Okay, mm -hmm. May 5th, 2022. Life's hard enough for a Jewish girl who's turning 12. Add to the fact that she just found out one side of her family are literally vampires, and you've got a recipe for one hell of a bat mitzvah. So, so that that's pretty good because it's like a bat mitzvah is a woman's coming into adulthood, but but this one, right. their family is vampires. Bat mitzvah, right? I don't know, um, Eugene. Are you Jewish? I'm Jewish, but I didn't have a bar mitzvah. I'm ethnically Jewish but not like, uh, not like kind of socioeconomically Jewish, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, man. Maybe, maybe in the next slide. Maybe in the next slide. Maybe if I get enough uh, points, get life, enough, point, uh, life uh, points exactly. to be reincarnated um, as a true Jew. As a, as, a, as a Jew with the perks. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, as, a, as an Eastern European Jew, I'm yeah. sure you have, relatives that like by all intents and purposes could be vampires <laughs> uh let me think about that i mean i don't know about all intents and purposes maybe on like some visual level you could i mean yeah. i i really easily morphed into nosferatu in wawa palace was that was not that hard of a makeup job for for the makeup artist i'll tell you so um yeah, no, uh, I, I get it. I, I just like, I, I mean, clearly the clever thing here is without getting too anti-Semitic, it's not about, I think that a bunch of Jews look like fucking vampires. It's about the word bat in bat mitzvah. Right. It, literally taking the word bat out of bat mitzvah and then just taking that to its logical conclusion. And, and it's, it's pretty funny and you could see it. And honestly, there has never been in my opinion, although I started watching one yesterday and then kind of stopped after five minutes, a great movie that takes place at a bar or a bat mitzvah. Like that could Well, um, is Adam there? Sandler, tell me, tell me. In, tell me. He's in the process of making it right now. Wow, uh, okay, there you go. Uh, Squirm is in it um, and there are others. Um, it's called You Are Never Getting Invited to My Bat Mitzvah. And it's like, you know, it's definitely... I don't think there's any supernatural intervention here, but maybe oh, right. that'll be a great bot mitzvah movie. But it's a weird, like, Hollywood on Hollywood thing, ultimately, because, like, who are these people making this movie for? Well, there's, there's, I mean, there's enough, like, Jewish people and non-Jewish people who might be interested in that as an interesting milieu. I mean, pretty famously, I think, actually, the history of Hollywood 
which is largely founded by Jews um, and many immigrant Jews, many of them immigrant Jews, was avoiding Jewish topics and Jewish representation at all right. co- at all costs, especially the, assimilationist. You know, the, the, fir- the first 40 years of Hollywood, it would be extreme and it was just populated with so many Jews. It's like, let's never mention Judaism <laughs> because, you know, Jews come from a, a historic tradition of always being targeted. And, and who, I think they really and who, wanted to be Americans. And who, Hollywood was a really yeah. We great want place. we we want to assimilate. We're trying to serve the American people. This is American stories. Blah 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 blah. And also, I think it's a survival thing. It's like, you know, if you're on top, you don't want to fucking present yourself as a target. So compound that with the history of Jewish people. You know, being like, we are the targets. We are, you know, we are like, you just don't want to bring attention to it. I mean, you had, there's a few exceptions like. Um, uh, what the fuck is that movie with Gregory Peck about anti-Semitism from like the late 40s? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Gentleman's Agreement. Um, mm-hmm. um, but by and large, yeah, that was to be avoided. Although, I mean, look, you watch anything like the, the Marx Brothers or something. I mean, the, Jew- right. the, Jew- the Jewish culture runs so thick. Or a guy that. like Ben Hex, a, a, a screenwriter right. who, yeah. you know, was sort of a, 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 a icon of, the Zionist movement, right? Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I think a bat mitzvah is a funny experience. It's just so unique that um, yeah, I mean, to look, add in empires, it's, it's easy. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like making an awesome movie at like a quinceanera or something. You know, it's just these milieus are great environments to reflect on uh, sort of cultural peculiarities and tell like family dramas. I mean... I think after um, Nashville or something, I think it was Nashville, mm-hmm. they asked Robert Altman, oh, like, so you just finished this movie about country music. Like, what are you going to do next? And he like jokingly said in an interview, like, oh, I'm just going to film a wedding. And then like a few weeks later, he's like, no, actually I was trolling, but not a bad idea. And so then they literally just filmed the movie called a wedding <laughs> which is just like all takes place at a wedding and it's like fascinating you know and i started when i put so i was gonna watch this movie called bar mitzvah boy which is one of those like bbc play for today movies uh, and i was mm-hmm. like ah, i don't want to watch this so i turned it off and then i turned on a woody allen movie i hadn't seen called um a midsummer night sex comedy and it's a similar thing it's like a weekend i don't know if you've seen that one but it's like a weekend with three no, couple, three three couples at a country house and, mm-hmm. um, you know, these sort of contained environment kind of ensemble things um, have a lot of potential and are pretty easy to execute. Um, what I also think about that one is that, like, you know, that there's a, a fundamental tension in that there's a contained environment and there's a monster, right? Vampires are, are going to get you, but you have to be there with them. And so it, there, I, I feel like one like this would be really easy to develop a structure for and to actually like yeah. get into something. Has anybody hit you up about this? So the Reddit thing, is that pretty, um, has that been pretty successful? Are people like, is it going kind of viral on Reddit? Interestingly enough, um, the Reddit screenwriting thread is very, very bitter and resentful. And whenever wow. I post things, yeah, people are all about like, you know, nobody's going to write these movies for you. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I, I Maybe they will. I mean, they already have to I, I a mean, certain degree. But it's you're, also you're, put it, you're putting it out there because the, these ideas are should be like exciting juice. I mean, for me, when I right. read it, 
when I read it every once in a while, I'm like, you know, Emerson is pumping out two, three, four ideas a fucking day. And it honestly is just inspiring to not be precious about your ideas. Like the ideas- They're not precious. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what, that's what I'm saying is inspiring about it. It's like, don't be precious about your ideas. If you, if you have something that seems kind of clever, like give it a shot. See if you can actually turn it into a movie. Don't spend a year trying to turn a pretty good idea into like a pretty good script because if it's not flowing out of you like super duper like easily, just think of another right. idea. Like I, I think that's actually a really good lesson for everybody. Like don't like belabor a script until like it's an overwrought thing uh because maybe it's not worth being a movie like like just because you have a good idea doesn't mean it's a fucking good movie and just people need to make their peace with that like as quickly as possible and if it's not turning into something that like flows out of you naturally then move on think of another idea and see if that flows out of you more naturally now that's that's my takeaway and i i don't think i think most people don't really think in that way they think oh i got a great idea i better fucking Develop, develop. I have to use it as hard as I can and just yeah, like drill yeah. it into the ground. And it's like, well, one, no, you don't, because this is like fully a volunteer job when it comes to original ideas, right? It's yeah. it's just a matter of what you can actually deliver on and to who then even, right? right. Like exactly writing on spec. Writing on writing on spec is is a thankless task that has a very low success ratio just statistically so you better you, you better be doing it because you have a sense of urgency and the subject means a lot to you and if it means a lot to you and you do have a sense of urgency then it will flow out of you and if you can't seem to get it that's a that's a sign from the movie gods telling you hey like you don't care enough about this or this isn't for you or you know someone else will have this idea if years later and they'll do it you know i kind of apply that um um Paul Schrader tip about how he will tell a story that he's working on to somebody like at a party or something like that. Yeah. And he'll stop telling it like at a certain point. And if, you know, they come back later and are like, what happens next? Then he knows that he's on to something, but if they don't, or he just feels like he drops off the face of the earth while he's mid conversation, then it's like as much of an idea as you need to either like, go back a couple steps or maybe scrap the whole thing. I mean, look, it costs nothing to have an idea. And that's, you know, I, I, I got into a big argument actually at my old job um, when I was brought in as part of like a little consultant panel to talk about um, just the future. I guess this filmmaker wow. was partnering with Vice to make a documentary about the future and um, I got into an argument with a guy there who was working as a kind of like creative consultant, but he was a comedian. And we got into an argument over the fat Jewish. And this was at the time where the fat Jewish was not tagging content creators in the mm -hmm. stuff and, you know, using like Twitter jokes and like cutting off the names and all of that stuff. Yeah. And this comedian was very much like he took personal umbrage at that possibility and it, I guess maybe, you know, he's a little older than me and it's the difference between the kind of uh, pro pirate stance that I think I am definitely like part of. Yeah. Um, 
or you know just a matter of 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 having experience getting like jokes stolen but we both made pretty good points about you know whether it matters or not or if it's just kind of part of an evolution of the medium um but what i thought was really funny was just how mad this guy got about the fact that somebody was doing it and the system was designed in a way that they could get away with it i'm like okay really if you want to deal with the fundamental problem of uh this kind of ip theft don't take it up with a fat jewish go to the facebook offices right who are creating this entire library of stuff that other people are making for them but to uh, uh right, take it all that's out kind of, that's kind of like a that's a kind of a comical fundamental development of the last 15 years um which is that basically every quote unquote platform that you use mm -hmm. to share and uh your life with other people is just funneling money not into your pocket i mean it can if you reach a certain level of popularity but again those statistics are you know minuscule for the most part you're funneling money into the pockets of you know these these platforms whereas you know in an earlier era of like microblogging and stuff there was still a concept of like i have my website and my mm -hmm. website leads back to me obviously the visibility of that is super limited compared to social media platforms but uh yeah i mean that's a so the the sort of virality and memeability of things um ultimately benefits the platform on which things go viral um you know which is why you have things like you know people having viral tweets and their first comment is like oh my god this blew up like help my friend who's looking for right uh, is looking to ad adopt a dog or like you know i don't actually have anything going on so like help my friend you know like fund their documentary because <laughs> um, well, the attention is clearly worth something but yeah. like i this is maybe my like worst opinion to probably get into in hollywood but like i think that we should get paid for being advertised to yeah right? i think that across the board uh when we have to go outside and look at a billboard or look at a thing go past us right that's our attention and that's clearly worth something to them so some type of remunerations for um what we're actually committing is the only answer you know that we we should have movies and tv shows and all of that stuff at the very least be paid for by that but if you think that there's a one-to-one -one between your netflix subscription and uh the hundred and you know 60 million dollar uh battlefield epic getting made you're simply you've lost the plot yeah uh wait finish that point because maybe i lost the plot so there's so uh who what funds that it fund it's like capital that's like being it's like loans that netflix took out it's debt funded yeah entirely this is like this is these yeah, are movies that are debt funded made yeah. using like funny money essentially yeah. that yeah, yeah, is yeah. already written off front and back you well, know um, i um, i realized recently that i have a hulu account i don't know how i have it but i do mm -hmm. um and then i said i'm gonna start watching rick and morty as a type of uh, mm -hmm. quote, unquote, quote unquote research and mm -hmm. um i was just shocked to find that oh i'm paying for hulu but i still have to watch commercials when i watch rick and morty right what the hell is that they're double dipping on you That's so bad up. 
I'm paying for it. Netflix don't, don't. is going to start opening a tier that um, is an ad-supported uh, tier. And you know, even Disney has ads. And I'm like, wait a second. Disney, Disney Plus has ads? Ad. Disney is the ad. That's There's movies up. on Disney that you have to pay extra for to see. That like, you know, you don't even get by virtue of being a Disney Plus subscriber. And if there's one thing that generating all of these ideas is um, um, kind of moving towards is a kind of freedom from that mindset is like these things are free because they cost me nothing to make. I know that's what's so like liberating and, and, you know, kind of radical and beautiful about it and inspiring. Um, um, should we get into the early ones? I'd like to maybe take a look at some of these early ones because it took, sure, me, yeah. like I said, it took me 12 minutes to scroll. At this point, there's, I'm looking now and it's, um, 2,566 posts. Sisterhood of the Traveling Diva Cup? Yeah, the Sisterhood <laughs> of the Traveling Diva Cup. Yeah. This is one of the early ones, September 8th, 2019. Um, mm -hmm. That's a good one. The Traveling Diva Cup. See, the simple ones. It's the simple ones yeah. that, that kind of get me. And they're unmentionables, but it's like, that's what movies are for. That like thorny shit that you can only talk about by way of experience. Yeah, that's, you know, a really, that's, that's a really good way of putting it. That's a really good way of putting it. I do think that's what movies are. I basically pretended to ignore it, but someone tweeted at me a couple of days ago, like, when you're making a movie like Spree, like, don't you think, like, like what the fuck is the point, man? Like, we have so much evil shit happening. Why do you have to put more evil out into the world? And then I was like, I didn't respond, but my response in my head was kind of like, actually, like, Spree is like the only piece of media I know that, like, is critical of and makes fun of like delusions of grandeur that populate the mind of mass murderers. Like, like this is clearly like, if you don't talk about these people, which is like, you know, kind of part of the course now, or like, or like if, if, if you, if you a, a sort of a, in the minds of people, a sort of allure is built up due to the like, kind of like uh, attention relegated to the, their tension relegated to the effects of the violence. And so the only like kind of interesting counterpoint to that is since there's going to be attention anyway, is to figure out how to shine a comical and satirical light onto the stupidity and kind of cringe empathetic nature of these characters. Like, you know, um, and a newspaper is not going to fucking do that. And a politician's not going to do that. And I, I don't know. So the only I, thing I'll qualify is that I don't think that it needs to necessarily be like cringe or satirical to examine it, right? Because I think about a movie like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. No, no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't need to. But I just felt like I needed to. Sure. And I feel like that movie that I made does that, and I don't think that Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer does that, which as a movie I love, and I also find to be like disturbing and funny, but it is not, it does not fulfill this need that I had, which is why I made this movie, which is to see a movie about these people that like shows how like simple minded and like, like pathetic they are. Like, that's just, that's just it. That's, that's interesting to me.
That's because I saw well, it in every fucking manifesto I read, every kind of video documentation that was put up there. There's a type of oblivious performativity to fulfill like an archetype that is simultaneously right, right, like, right. like 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 simultaneously like villainous, but like morally justified due to their like you know under uh, un, like their kind of. Um, exploited their position as someone who has been wronged by society and all of these um people who had acted out these horrific violent acts felt like they were playing this character it felt like they were fulfilling the script in their mind Mm -hmm. and so i wanted to show someone who is a bad performer in this script and actually has no idea that they're performing this script and actually thinks that they're doing something kind of noble or or justified and um, that was, you know, something that I thought was really valuable. And, and uh, you know, I think if the person who had asked me that question, I could, they had kind of engaged their critique in a way that I felt was more nuanced. I probably would have answered them, but they were really just mm-hmm. kind of like out for a kind of like polarizing blood. And I was like, ah, whatever, it's not going to be a real yeah, conversation. Yeah, it's kind of like gonna, nice It's not going to be like a real conversation. But um, Well, but that's... The thing about it is that I think a lot of people misunderstand about art is that like the art itself is the conversation, yeah. right? It's like, it's, it's not, you know, they're asking like, what do you have to say about this? What is your answer yeah. about you know, violence in the United States? And it's like the, the work is the answer yeah. at the very least, it's like the production of, uh, or the production towards an answer and like in and of itself exists as almost like a record of you pursuing something. But the thing that people don't like, and I think Americans in particular have a problem with is, you know, not getting an answer that is, and even when you give them an answer about something, right, they're still yeah. not going to be happy with it's not that, well, that they were looking. The thing about art is that if it really is art, it probably will be pretty polarizing. Um, And if you do have like a perspective or an interrogation or are searching for something that you haven't seen um, anywhere before, you're trying to do something new, it will have a ton of uh, uh, polarizing responses. People won't know how to react to it. They'll want to categorize it in a reaction um, sort of designation that they've, already been trained to designate things into and when it doesn't match like it makes them upset it makes them angry it makes them like annoyed um and that is like the you know one of the qualities of all art over time such is the power of it yeah yeah when you think about like something that really pissed me off and others recently is there's like a new like winnie the pooh themed horror movie where like Mm -hmm. winnie the pooh Piglet are like killers yeah. and i'm like yeah. that just feels like you are actually putting bad vibes out for no reason and i do think there's a lot of stuff that does that and i do think a lot of the stuff that does that is like the most mass like made for mass consumption stuff i mean like a lot of like the 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 disney products right are 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 you know, designed to get you incensed. If you think that Lightyear, right, the new Buzz mm-hmm. Lightyear movie wasn't made in order to get people freaking out of, at each other over whether or not it was okay for a Disney movie to have a gay kiss, 
right? It's like, no, that's that's just lighting. I, I, I disagree with you a little bit. I think clearly that was like a plot point and like moment. I didn't see the fucking movie, but of course I heard about the debate and stuff. I'm sure that was a moment that was like heavily discussed. I don't want to say debated because I'm sure the second someone introduced it, they're like, that's awesome. You know, and like yeah. maybe one or two people, one or two people maybe were like, oh, maybe it isn't or whatever. I don't have an opinion. I'm sure it's fine. Like whatever the fuck they want to do, they want to do. But I don't think the calculation is as clickbaity as you say. I don't think it's like, oh, we got to put that in because it's going to get like, it's going to spark something in the culture war or something. I think they were like, we think this is a cool thing to represent in a Disney product. We're all behind this, quote unquote, it's time for this type of imagery in a kid's movie, let's go forward. We're probably gonna get a, like some serious pushback from like, you know, a conservative reactionary, whatever. And we're gonna have to know how to like PR account for that slash we know we're on the right side of history slash moving on. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they're like, this is gonna create like a lot more attention towards our movie. And by the way, I think that movie, like comparatively speaking, did pretty poorly. You At know, what I, level, I, though, I, is also I, my I, question for you is like, do you really think that like across the board from top all the way down to the people, the, the you know, sad saps that are writing a movie like that are in, you know, total well, agreement or, or, or innocent? I, I don't think, that, like, doing yeah, a good thing? I mean, maybe I'm um, like naive or something, but I believe that probably the people who wrote that movie or the producers of that movie suggested that idea in a story outline mm -hmm. or in the process of writing. I don't think it was like some directive from up on top or something. Also these projects, like a light year type project has probably been working its way through like the internal Disney system for like a decade. You know what I mean? It's, sure. probably, it's probably had a bunch of writers on it. People who did story outline, story treatments, um, it went through a bunch of different iterations. And I don't think it's like some directive from corporate or something like that. No, no, I don't think it starts from the top down. I think it starts from the bottom where somebody yeah. genuinely does have a good idea and it like builds its way up. But the evidence that I would have about its use as being something that is a bit more uh, tactical or nefarious, right, is the decision that came later to remove that scene, just excise it from certain markets that this movie would come out. And that decision isn't coming from the same people. Of who course, but, to put that in. but that's part of the fucking box office game, not to re reference a fun game called box office game. Have you ever played that? No, I've never played box I, office I game. suggested it's super fun. It's like every day, it's like a different weekend. Is that the, the Wordle? It's, it's a wordle it's a wordle type thing yeah but it, it's it's more sophisticated and takes up way more of your time um so no yeah of course i mean look it's just like a box office whack-a-mole you know what i mean it's like oh yeah we're not gonna be able to like you know put this out in whatever uh, uh i don't know whatever if we don't get rid of this thing you know in south korea if we don't get rid of this thing so we're gonna get rid of it i'm not saying light year or something but other things um okay should we look at another one let's do it how about this one? A dystopian future where if you can't afford the cost of a burial, the government won't let you die. Now that is some sort of like surrealist backwards thinking that I love. In the future, well, if you can't afford to get buried, the government won't let you die. <laughs> now, a lot of people, like what's funny about this is a lot of people 
they might not want to die. In fact, a, a, a major human impulse throughout human history is the desire not to die. So, but in the, your version of this dystopia, which is why you called it a dystopia, people do want to die and the government won't let them. I think that, yeah, being denied the ability or the right to die um, would just start that off in the first place. Yeah, you know, of course. It's like, you'd want to like, die if you weren't allowed, sure. You'd want to die if you weren't allowed to die. And yeah. then proportionally to how bad things get in said dystopia, right, is probably the more that you would want to die. And then you think about, okay, you know, you don't want to die when you're 30. You don't want to die when you're 40. You don't want to die when you're 50. I've talked to people in their 80s or 90s that are sort of like, I'm good. I could, I could, I could do like a couple more years, but there's a certain- No, right, no, I, I know, yeah, yeah, but that's right. Look, and this- Look, we don't know what this dystopic future is going to be like. They might have already figured out like the de-aging pill. They might have figured out right. a way to have people stay in good health deep into their hundreds. We don't know. This is this is open-ended stuff. Have you had other people? Um, this caption, by the way, is funny. Death is for closers. Have you had other people um, try to take on any of these ideas on the Reddit and hit you up and be like, hey, this is a good one. Can I do this? I mean, and what do you expect um, if, if a movie is ever made from this? Um, is it just a special thanks? Do you think maybe people should kind of consult with you as they write and you can have some sort of EP credit? I mean, it's a really good question because on one side of it, like I, I wanted to undercut my ability to ever have this kind of dispute, right? Yeah. Like in, in, in the free. court of law, somebody can now be like, no, not only like is you know this idea free but this guy has an entire account dedicated to like making these things free he clearly believes that these things should be free so why now is he deciding to, no like, for sure no i'm not i'm not, I'm not saying you should i'm just saying in the scenario that someone you know politely kind of contacts you in your ideal like thing would you like to be involved if someone made a movie from your script? you know to tell you the truth like if it's somebody who's like doing something on spec like i'd love to help in any capacity that i can whether it's giving extra background giving like little details like the producerial um or executive role that you had suggested yeah. before right because it's never really just the idea is usually a lot of other stuff that goes into it other influences stuff yeah for, for instance give us give us some background movie. give us some background on this very simple one joan of um, narc joan, of, joan narc. of narc so that's all it says by the one, way on on this idea it just says three three words joan of narc uh this goes back to like the earlier ones where a lot of it was more just Pun. like pun oriented on titles and puns and stuff like that yeah and actually at the time um i was doing uh, i guess the quad had a joan of arc film marathon right 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 and um, so you don't got I a really, fucking story for this one buddy boy i don't have a story for this one other than that i got a t-shirt that said narc on it and i was going to see these uh joan of arc movies wearing right. it and my sister ragged on me about yeah. that so like, like for this one, for instance, the mighty cucks, same, same kind of idea, right? Yeah. Similar idea. It's like, I, if you really wanted to come up with something that the movie like that would be about, what is it like a ragtag band of cuckolds? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So, so this, is, this is another, 
here's another. So that one was with uh, our our friend in common, Danny, who we do who we do like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here's one that I liked that I think is a, is a funny concept. Macbeth sat set at a tattoo parlor. You could really see that one. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. Macbeth yeah. kind of set in any milieu. You can basically see it, but tattoo parlor is super funny in terms of like, you know, the idea of like assassination and then revenge, comeuppance, guilt. You can really see the ink being washed off in the sink, if you know what I mean. The the out, out damn spot. Yeah, like, damn spot. The, exactly. It, but it's tattooed. That's where that one came from. It's like, oh, oh but you can't. Cause it's permanent. Cause you got a tattoo. Wow, that's okay. So that one does have a nice backstory. Um, here's um, what. Here's a simple one. Also, like, the amount of time that it takes to rise up the ranks in tattoo culture is right. sort of the perfect place to do it. Right, and your and your oh, your, the the Lady Macbeth is played by a Dita von Teets or whatever Tees. Yeah, the perfect Dita, Dita von Teets type. Exactly, and here's one Bubble Girl. Bubble girl, not right, bubble so boy. This one, okay. yeah. this one is like, even though it's like a title, I'm like, a lot of the places that these movie ideas come from is like, all right, well, if we're gonna do that with this, why don't we do this with that? And so if everything's getting like gender swapped in various ways, why don't we bring back Bubble Boy? But this time around, make it Bubble Girl. Bubble I Girl. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a, a really easy idea. There was another one that um from that era that wait, um, which which sure. bubble boy do you like? The Jake Gyllenhaal one or the John Travolta one? Oh, the Jake Gyllenhaal one. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Um, and, and you know, it's like what like, it seems really fun to find that type of like comedic actress who has to give that level of performance. Like I rewatched it at the time that I posted that idea, and like he really makes a character and that's so exciting and cool and yeah that is do cool. that for this that is cool um uh i gotta make a disclosure uh legal disclosure here which is that i've never seen bubble boy oh i mean it's it's like it's like a road movie but the road movie is about this like goofy kid who's super earnest and has a great sense of humor but also can't leave his bubble because his yeah. entire life he's been told that he'll immediately die it's almost like proto dog tooth in a way yeah and it's i don't know so that one is like another one which is like dude where's my stroller which right, is right, dude. Where's my stroller? The same idea, you know. You bring back Jesse and Chester, and then you make them dads, and you keep the story going when one of them doesn't realize where they put their baby. Um. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, dude. Where's my stroller? Right. That's actually the wild hog space cowboyfication of like a uh, Gen X kind of characters. You know, exactly. which is which is what we're getting to. We'll probably be there in like the the latter part of this decade. We'll probably start seeing a bunch of like Gen X wild hogs. I would love to see Gen X wild hogs movies. It's it's like <laughs> a really fascinating thing to see a generation examine itself as it's aging. And I think that like the weird critical media mindset that attacks millennials for getting avocado toast is never so incisive as when the people are really digging into themselves, right? It's always like targeted at a group and it's like, no, 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 do it. Uh, like, I'll say one thing, which is that 
Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to like, I hate making generational commentaries and stuff like, cause mm -hmm. I, I don't like making sweeping statements about groups, whether it's like age or otherwise. But um, <laughs> I do think that there is a- You're not a racist. Oh, no, I, I, yeah, I'm not anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm just a nobody. Um, so I would say, well, this isn't necessarily true because clearly there were so many like leading men in like the 50s and early 60s who had been like kind of inherited from like the 30s and 40s who were deep into like their like late 50s and, and 60s in their age. And they were often in movies like going out with like, you know, women who were under the age of 30, like it very organically uh, in terms of the storylines, the studios seem to believe that these were really like perfect matches. But I would say that like the boomers did seem a little, I do think they're more comfortable with aging because the boomers are the ones who became the hippies, you know, were a little bit more comfortable with representing aging uh, um, than maybe a current generation, which is so kind of vainglorious and obsessed with like, you know, plastic surgery and all that stuff. And like, so, you know, you're seeing like, I, I don't know, it's just like, like, I love Brad Pitt. Like, I don't want to watch this bullet train movie. And I want, I want to see like an older Brad Pitt where I saw this Paul Schrader kind of reclaimed Paul Schrader re-edit of a movie he made with starring Nicolas Cage from like 2014. And Nicolas Cage has like fucking gray hair in it. And like, kind of like, natural it's like kind of naturally mildly balding in it and like he looks good you know and like yeah. i just think like these guys should allow themselves to kind of age um and it'll be interesting and like you know obviously it's a in a way it's a kind of luxury that that male actors have that like you know the industry is very cruel towards female yeah. actors female actors when it comes to you know a kind of aging and stuff and so I, i'm not critical of uh i'm critical of the industry i can't be critical of like female actors having to like you know do what they got to yeah, do to, whatever they have to do whatever they think they have to do to keep getting hired i would never be critical of them but uh you know just brad pitt looking trying to look i don't know like he's in his 30s or 40s just seems bad to me well i think that like part of that has to do with the boomers generational ability to age, right? Like it was a lot less precarious to get old as a boomer than it was, uh, or than it is now for somebody who, you know, is like pushing 40, still doesn't really own anything, still has oh, like that to deal with. Uh, whereas, you know, you look at like maybe the most screaming example of that recently, right. Is, and just like that, the, sex in the city show which takes place right. some i don't know 10 or 15 years later right and like all of these women are sort of universally understood to be successful in their various lives and things are going good for them and the only way that the show works right or that they've decided that the only way that these characters work is if uh their past precarity is 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 accounted for and taken care of right Carrie doesn't need to work or none of them really have to work for the rest of their lives. And so they're afforded the ability to age. And maybe that comes back to the idea about like, you can't, a, a government that doesn't allow you to die unless your <laughs> yeah. work is done. Yeah. But um, the, the, you know, a uh, 60 year old who's like still a sex symbol uh, in like, you know, a, a, a John Wayne or sense yeah. right, is like, 
afforded that. It's it, Clint Eastwood still occasionally does it in his movies, and it's like, yeah, man, that must be great. <laughs> no, it's I mean, it's a good point. I haven't seen the new Sex in the City, you know, whatever like sequel, requel thing, but the clips that I saw of it, it did though seem like they were still preoccupied with the same old stuff, which whatever, it's just part of D- TV DNA. Like I can't get on top. It seemed extremely out of touch. And and, and 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 super and super unable to like kind of make fun of itself in a fundamental way that I think that the original Sex in the City was pretty good at you know. Um, well, but that's be- a question then of the same boomer privilege, right? If like yeah. they're not able to examine what allows them to continue to exist, which is maybe you know at its core the fact that a lot of their parents died and gave them a lot of money and in the future they're going to do that same thing for a generation yeah. that comes later it's fu- it's funny we talk about boomers uh i mean we have also mentioned gen x and stuff there's so many kind of micro generations always and i think now we're in like the ultimate era of micro generations where i do think like mm-hmm. literally every five years of gener- of, wow. of, of every five years of like kids is like pretty different you know, totally. like, I just think that the, the, the kind of vernacular and like re- reference points, I mean, generations are kind of built around like communal reference points in a way, and the kind of, I guess, financial experiences and the reference points most certainly are pretty because we no longer have mass communal events, you know, like in the way that we used to in, in culture. Mm-hmm. Um, the reference points are way more like microcosmic. And so I think the generations are really, you know, and also technology seems to, um, the pace of technology creates new technology opportunities and fixations that are harder to grasp for people who are literally five years older. Not me, because I'm, yeah. a, I'm a crazy early adapter, but most people. Um, should we get through some of some? These are some of my recent faves. Do you want to go through those? Mm-hmm. This one, this one to me had me cracking the fudge up, my friend. Okay, July 18th, 2022. This is just from a few days ago. When an out of shape, lazy guy gets kicked out of his girlfriend's apartment on January 1st, he decides to put his New Year's resolution to the test and use his last few bucks on a 24 hour gym membership in order to eat, sleep and breathe self-improvement. Provided he doesn't get busted by the staff so I read it in this voice, Emerson, because it is, they're always, they are kind of comical. I mean, one thing you're poking fun at also is like very 90s style formulaic, like kind of setups. Logline voice. What'd you say? Logline voice. Yeah. Logline. Um, and and that, it's funny because you made this one in, in the, the middle of summer. So you must've mm-hmm. been thinking about gym. But, it, you know, this seems like something that would come from your uh, kind of June, January 1st, New Year's resolution experience. Sometimes I'll like save them, but this one was actually a submission. Uh, oh, nice. From a guy who goes by at Groovy Baby Yeah. And, oh, wow. Um, okay. So I shout do. out to Groovy Baby Yeah. So do you not like this one? Did I pick a bad no, one? No, I do. I totally do. And I, 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 the thing about submissions is that uh, I rarely post them because they're rarely ever Good. cohesive yeah, and yeah. coherent. Yeah. And I, you know, try to uphold a certain standard, but once yeah. in a while, somebody like comes through with them. And 
you know, this took a couple of tweaks. This was, it was a lot longer when it was sent to me as a got DM. Got it, got it. But so do you, like, do you workshop, possible. do you workshop DM it with the person or do you just say, I'm going to edit this? Um, when it depends if there's like a grain of the idea that's like there but what it needs to be is something completely different then i'll workshop it with them and i'll send it back to them and just because i'm going to put their name on it because yeah. i want you know everybody yeah. to get credited for yeah. what they're sending in um definitely but in a thing like this it really just involved like taking out some of the extra details and just tightening it i mean adding that like m dash the provided he doesn't yeah. get busted by the staff yeah that made it feel like it was cohesive with the rest of the stuff nice balls we like that one um okay here we go this is this is kind of like what you're talking about before like making fun of the kind of gender swapping trend that characterized the mm -hmm. latter the latter half of the, like the 20 teens hollywood here's one a movie about a woman who must overcome sexism in the hitman industry because you know you have all those hitman movies, the bodyguard's wife, the 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 the, the body, you know all that shit. Whatever. Yeah. There's a long history of hitman movies. Um, this was hey, look at this comment, hit ma'am, yeah. <laughs> hit hit ma'am. <laughs> um, what what inspired this one? Um, I, this was really just like a one that popped into my head. It was like, oh wait, it, and sometimes they're a little bit like low hanging fruit, but it was like, yeah. wait a second. There's, you know, I, there's this whole conversation about like, you know, uh, uh, women not getting paid as much as men. And it's like, well, shit, like, what if you're dealing in people's lives, right? Like, right. what if that's the thing? Are you going to pay? Are you really going to try and pay a, a, a woman hitman less than you would pay a man hitman? Right. And Are the people the, hiring, like, hiring <laughs> uh, murderers for hire, like, aware of the gender uh pay gap like are, are they right. like exploiting a gender pay gap like i guess i could get like my brother killed uh for 50 grand but if i use a woman i could get him killed for 25 for grand or maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. negotiate a little bit and like yeah. when she comes back to me for the money maybe i could stiff her you know like yeah, yeah. something like that I'm like <laughs> that that it generates a character immediately and that's the the movie ideas that really work are the ones where you immediately can sort of understand like the map and the territory of how you're going to develop this thing right if you've yeah. got a hitman then you've got somebody who well you can uh, see the plot going in a, you can see the plot going in a place where the 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 female hitman or as you call her in a caption hit woman the hit woman goes to, after the person who stiffed her and said, oh, I just found out my colleague who did a similar job got paid 60% more, 40% more, whatever. And then the guy goes, what are you talking about? I, he's about to, she's about to kill him. And he's like, what are you talking about? I paid your boss 50 grand. That was the sum we agreed on. And then the twist is that she realizes actually her boss, the kind of like agent that she has who gets her the jobs and stuff, who's been stiffing her the whole time. And it's more institutional thing rather than one, you know, sort of like a client sexism. Of course, because it is an institutional thing. I know, that's, that's what I'm saying. And that's why the movie writes itself. All of, you know, and you immediately have like, you've got the hitman, you've got the target, you've got the yeah. other hitman, you've got the uh, person who is in charge of hiring the hitman agency. You, you have also, you have also the, the hit woman mentor 
who was the first one in the, the hit game to kind of uh, ki- kill as a woman. And she, uh, she had to go through a lot of shit to pave the way for all these like upstart hit women now. You know what I mean? Right. She had to break the 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 proverbial glass ceiling. Yeah, she had to shoot for, through it, shoot through it with an AK. Yeah. That would be the big climactic moment in the movie is she's literally blasting through a glass ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's awesome. <laughs> Fucking falling with two guns, blasting through the glass yeah, ceiling. Totally. Yeah. Um this one is kind of funny. In order to get their information poisoned parent off the internet. A pair of estranged siblings. You, it's nice. You have to put in those little details. Like the siblings are estranged. That's kind of what makes it feel real. Join forces to craft an online scam that leads from the web to a scavenger hunt adventure in the real world. So that's what they do to you know help the parent, the, the, the info, disinfo loving parent. However, problems arise when their little game goes viral. And soon their entire town is on the hunt for a prize they haven't even come up with yet. Wow. I, I mean, the, I also like the verbiage of like their entire town is such like a pre-social media, like late, like 20th century sort of concept for movies. I think you never, like, like it would seem so, so ingenuous to watch a movie now where it's like, stuff happening in this town i mean like they could they do it i've seen shows and stuff do that but no one thinks about town now you know but town is it's yeah it's like been phased out as a sort of yeah environment forming of yeah a community or something like that but they still totally exist i mean they do it they do of course they do but I feel like maybe one of the only like binding qualities of like t- a township now is maybe like a school district or something like that. I just, I, I feel like at least representationally speaking, like the urban, you know, experience has completely like um, superseded the suburban experience, which is so much of like the storytelling milieu of like the 1980s and 1990s, you yeah. know? I just watched this amazing movie called uh, desert blue okay that is about like basically a uh uh what's the term for it it's like a, a community that's off the grid that's just okay. like out in the middle of nowhere where like you know they kind of had to like bring their water out there and uh, it's just you know about a bunch of kids it's got this like ensemble cast of young people who would all go on to do amazing things so when is the movie and, from the 80s uh yeah it's from the 80s are uh, actually um um I want to say Desert Blue is from 98, actually. Oh, okay. The wow, so it's from the Blue. 90s. Yeah, Morgan J. Freeman. And it's got Casey Affleck, Kate Hudson, Christina Ricci, Ethan Supley, John Hurd, Peter Sarsgaard. All right, I see this. Wow. Um, Holy shit. Uh, I, I don't, why don't I, even, I don't even remember this. I was 12 years old at the time. So I, weirdly off the beaten path. And... Uh, part of what I liked about, you know, this, this other reviewer was that it talks about, you know, small town bullshit. And that's what you're talking about as like not really existing in the same way that it did once upon a time. And this movie does it, it almost could be set in the 80s, right? Because those things still existed. And it was up until the internet really became the thing that erased the borders between towns. Yeah. Um, uh-huh you know we could we could still talk about it but in this case right i like the idea that like 
the older people, right, the information poisoned parents still do have an understanding about uh, what comprises a town. And so a really good, genuine idea for young people in order to get their people off the internet turns into a thing where it's like, ah, shit, like, what if, how do we get them back onto the internet? Because now they're all out in the town square together. Yeah, but you bring up a really interesting point about like, like true virality, obviously, is when something that is mimetic leaves the virtual space and enters like the physical space. That is when something has truly gone viral when it affects, um, you know, behavioral patterns or speech patterns or becomes something that you interact with in meat space, you know, as opposed to virtual space. Um, that is like the kind of like the pinnacle of virality. And um, it also is a, a, the real world is obviously the place where like, you know, non-virtual communities are formed. The reason that like you don't really represent like, you know, a town as a community anymore is because people just found communities that they were more passionate about because they were aligned with them on an ideological or um, interest-based level rather than a town, which is a group of people who just live in close proximity to each other. There's nothing, there's nothing like inherently, um, you know, spiritually linking um, to people who like live in close proximity to each other besides like, you know, certain like socioeconomic factors or maybe certain like kind of cataclysmic I mean, like the weather or something is something maybe people who right. live in close proximity share with each other, but, or like the, the taste of like a fucking sandwich at a local sandwich shop is like something they share, but like, these are not, you are, do not feel as passionate about this as you do about like all, all you know, like your favorite esoteric band that like a, a, a person in like Japan also loves, or like, you know, a designer or like a political belief that is like, you know, held by you and a million other people across the country, but not necessarily in your town. Yeah, it's, it, the strength of it as a unifier, or the strength of location as a unifier has, I guess, been going away as, you know, you can put your experience into places that aren't completely situated where you are, yeah. right? And, yeah. you know, maybe this a idea comes from that place of like, somebody who you know and I, I think information poison parents is a real thing and i think totally so many of us have them so many of us are information poison I, I would i would say yeah i would say literally 90 i think anyone who actually actively engages with information on mm -hmm. a like face value level and i don't mean like oh you have to play 40 chess i don't mean like oh like you need to interpret like um something as like a reversal of what they're really saying but like anyone mm -hmm. who's like looking at information non-skeptically which i would say is like you know the majority of mainstream people or is just super cynical and skeptical about everything is you know information poisoned we are all or regardless being infected by it emotionally like yeah i was exactly. listening to the, the episode that you were talking um with peter vack about uh what makes somebody reactionary Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a very simple, reductive understanding of the term. Right. But if you have this reaction to something that doesn't really affect you, it's a reaction to yeah. information and it causes yeah. you to do something different in the world. Right. You're, 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 in fact, like how you said it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you have now become 
like a little digit for them to like manipulate and exploit, you know? Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, I think, you know, representing those types of people and those types of experiences and that type of mindset in cinema feels important because it captures um, a really prevalent mindset. It's not a fringe mindset to feel completely like um, kind of manhandled by uh, sources of information, you know? And that, they usually have an agenda. Should we do one last one? Here we go. Let's and sp speaking of manipulated by sources of information, it's July 2nd, 2022, at a Salvation Army, a, dis a discarded Vietnam veteran discovers a James Patterson novel with notes scribbled inside that he soon realizes are from a government agent who hoped someone would find it after his death and unravel the secret at the heart of his life's work. And then the caption, guess where I went yesterday? <laughs> uh, I was yeah. at a Salvation Army. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that. Uh, it, this is a funny one because the paranoia is so thick uh, all over, like the sort of like delusions and paranoia and stuff. And I always love stories like that, that are just completely like sort of driven by uh, the unreliability of the protagonist's uh, potential for delusion, you know, and being driven. I never watched Bird on a Wire really young, uh, uh -huh. the Mel Gibson movie, uh, but my grandma really liked it and it was on a bunch. What's it called? Uh, Bird on a Wire? I've Bird never on seen a Wire. I've never seen that. Oh, it's really cool. It's like a, it's like a, a, a B tier paranoid thriller where um, Mel Gibson is like this dude who's just, it's almost like a proto gang stalking movie. Uh-huh. You're not, talking, you're, you're not talking about the movie um, Conspiracy Theory with, with Mel Gibson, right? No, which he also did. Yeah, I know. Um, he, he did this one called Bird on a Wire, which almost wow. goes- I'm, like, looking at, I'm looking at this with, uh, with uh, Goldie Hawn. Wow, I got to see this. Mm -hmm. Actually, um, on, the, on the poster, it's a really interesting poster. The title is Tiny. And then on the top of the poster, it just says Mel and Goldie, <laughs> huge, like way bigger than the title of the movie. It just says Mel and Goldie. And this I is mean, like, these, these, these and big same, same thing with the Blu-ray. You see, like, it's not like a one-off poster. That's literally the Blu-ray. So, so you recommend that movie? You like that? Maybe I'll watch that. Totally. I mean, it's like, I, the, 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 I guess the conceit of it, right, is this idea about this guy who's just like, everybody's after me. Everybody is fucking right. coming after me. My phones are tapped. I can't do anything without somebody in a van outside of my house taking a mm -hmm. note and somebody else being like, no, you're totally crazy. And then he's, you know, one thing leads to another. And of and course, right. they're on this, this anti, you know, running from the CIA on this hunt. And like, I'm really fascinated with the way that intelligence agencies are going to operate going forward because um, the same, and I guess a lot of the things we've talked about come back to other things. And maybe there's just a few general areas of interest that you could pinpoint for all of these movie ideas. But um, one of them um, is uh, how intelligence agencies are going to function in the future when this sense of uh, unified duty and patriotism no longer exists in in later generations, right? Are we yeah. are we surveil are we spying on people because uh, we 
believe it's the right thing to do? Or are we spying on people because it's a job? Are we spying on people because uh, we want to? And what's the cost of uh, the livelihood of these people who have really gone deep into this world and end up not having much to show for it, right? Like I had a, a, an experience when I was 16, um, I was on a documentary shoot um, in Everglades City, uh, which was a town that uh, all of the adult males at one point got arrested for wow. uh, drug trafficking. Every wow. single man in the town and some of the women got arrested in one fell swoop. It's part in of what, this- uh, Where is that in Florida, Everglades City? Yeah, it's on the west coast of Florida where there's a ton of little tiny islands that these people who had lived out there understood as being amazing for smugglers, right? Because yeah. they know the islands. Nobody else knows the islands. And they were bringing in pot. It's it's part of this documentary called Square Grouper. And so I was out there with them shooting one of these films. And uh, in this, you know, how did you get that? that? How did you get to be a PA when you were 16? Um, That through this company called rack and tour i just sort of uh you, you sent them an email yeah and they were wow. into it and they were so you recommend you, rec you recommend people do that just kind of cold email companies like to be like hey could i intern could i i mean it worked yeah, for it, you huh? really a lot of the early experiences that i had had to do with just like going up to somebody and being like hey like i want to work and if you yeah. want to work and you, you're able to you know 16 if you're able to like get there yeah. and not take the energy and actually put energy back in and like you end up getting to work and and you know even though i think the for the whole week i might i they, i may have actually gotten paid as a pa which was cool um i don't remember at this point um the experience was great and so we're in everglade city yeah. right and um this entire town was like racked by this trauma right yeah. imagine every it, single man getting arrested get, yeah they, they, you know, there's say there's like 300 guys, right? That means there's 800 feds that swoop in and take everybody out of their house in front of their wives, in front of their children. And the area never recovered. And, you know, hurricane after hurricane, it's pretty fucked. But there was this one dude um, who uh, uh, was like the old timer. And what he would sit at like the, the local bar and tell his stories about his time um, with the Air Force adjacent to the intelligence agencies. And, you know, he had stories about what they were trying to do against Castro and stories about what wow. happened mm -hmm. with Kennedy. And, you know, of course, he's just a fucking guy at the bar who had, I don't think he had any kids. And I think he just like would get drunk and then somebody would have to take him home. Right. And like, there are national secrets within those people that by, uh, 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 I, by, by virtue of the fact that they're discarded now because they no longer have their use, um, it works in the, the, the government's favor as to delegitimizing any claims they would have for this stuff. So that idea came from being in uh, Salvation Army and looking at one of those James Patterson novels and being like, damn, who is somebody that this would mean something to? And yeah. how do we face the tension of, you know, something really meaning something to somebody uh, with, you know, somebody who doesn't mean anything to anyone? So and, you're, you're you know, to, be, to be specific here, you're talking about... Um, 
a, a, a veteran who is not taken care of by his country finding out these secrets from like a former FBI agent who is now dead. And these secrets right. were like the FBI's investigative work. Now, to me, where the tension in that movie lies that's interesting is like, you don't know that the veteran is all there mentally. And mm -hmm. you don't know that the person who wrote the secrets, quote unquote, into the book was all there mentally. Like, you know, both or, or one of them could be off the mark. And the sort of, right. leap, of leap of faith that you'd have to take uh, maybe for your own amusement, really, more than like a kind of like uh, than, than the moral sort of obligation for it uh, would take you on a sort of adventure and full of twists. You know, anytime people make a, extremely um, life altering assumptions about speculative information, it can go one of two ways. You realize that you're totally down the wrong path and it gets twisted mm -hmm. or you try to ignore this thing. And then it gets verified and then you have to pursue it. I mean, on a screenwriting level, this, these are the sort of yeah. scenarios. The refusal um, of the call to adventure, I think, is what uh, Joseph Campbell called it. That the refusal of the call. There we go. Um, so what, so tell, you want to tell us a little more? So um, in those four years of doing free movie ideas, have, is how you've written, I assume, it's been a nice, is it kind of like an exercise you do before you go to work or before you do some writing or like, or is it something that just comes to you throughout the day and you save it in your drafts and you post it when you have a free minute or something? Yeah, it just kind of comes and goes and has been the case ever since I struck out to do screenwriting full time is like, holy shit, suddenly in the middle of uh, the execution process, I'm like, I've got another great idea. And then it's like, ah, fuck, I can't work on this right now. So why not in the, in the, in the, in the ex very, very, very extreme hopes that like, maybe I'll get to see this thing or even down the line, get to help somebody develop it, put it out into the world. And it's always happening um, in the process of writing other stuff. It's uh -huh. The stuff that I can't get to are the stuff that becomes free movie ideas. Are there any project or any posts that you've posted that went that got such good feedback that you're like shit i really have to write this or and you try um, the funny thing is that like you can kind of tell before you post them there's what, ones that are just yeah. like it it just has the thing that feels uh new and unique it's like taking place in a world that we haven't seen before i mean you're a you're a big movie watcher. Um, yeah. I I realized you know in order to keep up with a guy like you, I had to up my numbers, <laughs> and uh, you know became even more of a movie watcher. There's um, a bunch you've seen that I haven't. But what's what's um, so cool about seeing a shitload of movies is you start to recognize where the underrepresented areas are sure. of ideas. I yeah. mean, you know, the, the, the one really, really uh, kind of silly example of it, but it's true and it's happening right now, is that movie uh, Bros, the Billy Eichner movie, right? Which is uh, the, first, um, um, the first studio picture with a gay male lead, right? And you would think that like maybe that's happened before, but it's never happened before. In, you know, the, the history of studio pictures, it's always been coded or turned into a different thing one way or another or used as like the butt of a joke but like no there's like a gaping obvious uh, uh uh and it's not even a representation thing because it's not um 
I think, a matter of like being seen on the screen. Um, it's a matter of uh, stories that it's like, what? why are we going the long way to get to this other stuff rather than getting through these stories? But when you, say gay, when you say gay male lead, you mean the actor is gay and the character is gay, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. The relationship of the central character um, is a gay one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say, you know, for so long, like, you know, actors remained in the closet. So that's probably why you, you had coded stories and stuff. And also, you know, performances by basically or orientation avoiding actors. Right. Sure. I mean, yeah. I think about a movie like Seconds, right? It's yeah. a pretty good example. Of yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. Rock Hudson. Exactly. Um, but at the same time, it's like, that's a slam dunk for Judd Apatow and Billy Eichner because of the time and place that they were like, oh shit, like we just connected those dots, right? Well, this movie is coming out and doesn't matter how well it does at the box office, they still get that like historical, we did this first, and, which I yeah, think on is a, on, a, on, a, on a big studio, you know, I, don't, I don't know the like, the actual like fact checkability of what you're saying i'm gonna i'm gonna yield to you on it but uh so so were there any that you tried to pursue i mean i'm sure also a lot of the ideas that go that are highly liked and memeable uh as posts to this account are not actually like ripe for turning into feature length screenplays Often a lot of the ones that are, you know, uh, memeable uh, are right. no. not like fully formed or ones that like are low hanging fruit or ones that like might be, you know, even more difficult to actually break open than to just be able to use as a sort of thought experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 view, I love the thought experiment nature of this. It does, that's another inspiring thing about it, not just the the quantity and quality and freeness of it, but just the kind of just makes you think about genre conventions and formulas mm -hmm. and how tired they are and how, and also how tired the idea of just like, like, you know, taking a formula and like twisting and tweaking one little thing. And then suddenly like, is this a good idea for a movie? And how we actually have to just step outside of these like tweaks and, and, and formulas altogether because they, um, there's just something inherently like uncreative about it um, that's just ripe for ridicule. And um, like I said, I think a lot of the ideas you put out there are really clever and really good and really inspiring, but also a lot of it is, is, is there for ridicule. And I mean, I think you put the, that's front and center too, that there's just something really, Definitely. there's just something really ridiculous about minorly tweaking like formulas and calling it an original idea. It's just like pathetic, you know? I, that's that's why they remain ideas you know yeah. but then there's other ones and it's sort of the, like so did you ever find did you ever hear about the malignant thing well i remember the movie came out on netflix uh is it i don't remember who directed. Was, is it james, was, is it james one, swan yeah oh and did they get sued is, because the person was like hey you stole my idea or something is that what happened no 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 no, 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 um, no. that one was um, i'm like almost completely sure that that was a free movie idea Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I, I was watching the movie because it was billed as like a new original horror movie, right? Mm -hmm. And that was right. how they were selling it, like in a, a really original new idea. 
And then the big reveal came around of what the monster was. And I was like, holy shit, wait a second. And I went back into the archive and I was like, uh, and I scrambled and I like scrolled and scrolled and scrolled and scrolled. And then I got to it and I was like, wait a second. This Read is almost it. word. What word. is it? Um, I have it in my, uh, hold on. It's here. It is. So I, I just want to say full disclosure, I hate spoilers, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to hear this. I haven't watched Malignant. I actually weirdly had been meaning to this week, if you could believe that, but yeah. let's, let's hear the spoiler for everyone who well, hasn't seen well, Malignant. It's okay to get the spoiler because Emerson secretly wrote it. I didn't write it. No, no. I mean, Emerson, Emerson probably originated it ultimately. Probably. And that's so it's a teratoma is a tumor made up of several different types of tissue, such as hair, muscle, teeth, or bone. And then I just posted the title um, in all caps and bold beneath it of terror coma, which, you know, felt like a little bit of a giallo, felt like a little bit of a trauma movie. Yeah, yeah it sounds it like a giallo like title. Yeah. It explained itself entirely. And then so it was at the time that they were billing Malignant as a giallo that they're yeah. doing this like new Jala thing that I was like, wait a second. And then, so I went back in and I found that idea. Um, but wait, is the I, twist of the movie that the villain is an anthropomorphized tumor? Like a can't, like yeah, a malignant it's, it's on, it exists oh, on the back of Oh, I didn't know, I didn't know. Wow, okay, that sounds, that sounds fun. It is, yeah, it's, it's really fun. Um, um, and it's, you know, gross and creepy. And like, like then it can like do Kung Fu. That's uh, where it gets there's a little, little bit of silly. there's a little bit of like a basket case quality to it. Yeah, totally a basket case quality to it. Um and also the 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 giallo quality to it yeah. where you know it feels like a very almost rote police procedural up until a certain point because you know yeah. that there's some monster lurking. Yeah. But I tapped on the idea and what do you know? I I tagged James Wan in the post on July 18th uh -huh. or sorry, June 18th. 2019 and then on uh one month later uh james wan is directing an untitled horror project written or co-written <laughs> with his wife right and uh now did james you know, wan ever like the post my no uh, ip detective here no he did not and did any of his um, associates ever like the post i have like execs from different production companies who do follow the account in various capacities and even don't follow the account but i'll see them in stories and whatnot there are people who have eyes on it um but this one i was like oh shit that's but it, see, this it, is it, a per, this is a per, this is a perfect example though of like you know putting the sort of like philosophical benevolence and kind of uh attitude to the test and like ultimately it's like it's fine right you feel fine, fine about it yeah i felt feel better than anything i felt vindicated about the fact that like some throwaway idea that i got from reading the new york times medical mysteries section turned out to be worthy of an hbo max but, release but also i think it was netflix actually also oh well, the birds on your head no, it was, it was HBO max. Um, okay hbo max also though 
don't you think it's possible they just read the same New York Times medical miracle medical mystery thing? Unlikely, and that that medical mystery thing I read uh, probably I looked it into it and I read it like four to six years before that. It was like an old medical mystery from like an old issue. Of, I'm just I'm um, just saying I'm just saying like statistical probability wise, if you went down that rabbit hole. Someone else could have gone down that rabbit hole. That's all I'm For saying. Sure. And that's, this shit, you know, the, the, moment- the, the thing is, when fucking, you know, even when someone like Ryder Rips comes around as like, here's the mm-hmm. documentation of a thing that I sent in like a pitch deck to this company. And then here's two years later, they're doing all this shit without me, whatever. I'm just like, I get it. You put the work in, but who cares, man? Like, it's the, just the idea. Exactly. Like for, for, for like, I look, we all would like to not be broke. We all would like to live, um, you know, healthy lives that are not, um, we all like to live healthy lives where we don't have to worry about like how we're going to pay our rent each month and all that. But beyond that, it's like, you know, I, if you're a creative person, you have lots of ideas. And if you don't do anything with those ideas, all you do is put the idea out into the world and you don't capitalize on it. You can't be upset with someone who does. Um, exactly. unless and they, I'm unless so they, not. unless they tell you something like, Hey, I'm going to work with you on this. Give me more. Oh, great. And give me more, give me more. And then they fucking push you off to the side and do it all themselves. That's like, I think a fucked up situation. You know, if you're working for somebody, yeah. And they don't want to pay you for it. That's wage theft. Right. But yeah. if you're circulating images, or ideas somebody, or something, yeah. you know, or ideas and somebody either comes across that idea or a similar idea and applies it to their own thing and they actually put the work in towards making it. I don't think, I don't think that you should be that mad about it. And yeah, at the end, I when, I, when I realized this thing about Malignant, I felt really good. I felt really happy and yeah. vindicated about the fact that like it, it to me lent legitimacy to the project because it's like oh wait even some of the more throwaway ones can yeah, yeah. be like 20 30 million dollar movies yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you all you have to do is write a life. script that you that people could could do so so what's the script so what's the script that you're so tommy is the thing you're still working on or you have you're doing something uh, no no tommy was one that was a one month um, thing right yeah uh, you know, they do that NaNoWriMo, um, which is National no- Novel Writing Month that people do in November um, as like a big like writer's community type thing on like Reddit and Twitter mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. It's like an accountability project. Yeah. And I at the time didn't feel like I had uh, written enough that year. I didn't have a full original feature because I was working with other partners on projects and like needed to have at least one uh, other one that wasn't an adaptation that was fully under my belt that was fully original yeah so um I decided to set aside the month of November um Mm -hmm. to write this thing uh uh start to finish and to do the entire thing live uh every night on Instagram with whoever wanted to join me yeah I thought Um, that was super cool that you would do that um, and how, how often, how many hours were usually on the live, like two, three? Uh, yeah. Um, a lot of them, I sometimes would just be an hour. Um, yeah. sometimes it would be like two hours and a lot of the time they would have, you know, 
one person. Three or four yeah, people. Yeah. You know, most of the time it was like one person. No, of course. I know I know what it's I know it's like once because you're fucking writing. I mean, you're maybe doing a, a few little comments here and there, communicating with people and stuff, but mostly the point is that you're writing. It's it's a, well, I, it's it's like a funny also extension of like the accountability project. It's like well now if I'm like airing myself doing it or, or communicating with the audience that's interested in the thing I'm writing, it's like actually makes me even more accountable to writing every day. You know? Yeah, I had to do it, and I had to go on every night. And when I got towards the end, I had to write without people so that I could go on later and kind of talk about my progress and yeah. track it forward only to like have something to actually talk about. But at the beginning, what was interesting about it was that I had set out for it to be a kind of like didactic window yeah, yeah, yeah. into the writer. Tutorial where almost. Like yeah, yeah. I would show people how I would get to a final script from yeah. just log line. And, you know, I help, had people help me pick the idea that it was going to be mm-hmm. based on the movie ideas that I had thought were uh, possible to yep. actually develop. And we talked yep. through those ideas. And the one that I settled on was this one called Tommy, which uh, is uh, about a teenage orphan tech wizard who goes on the lam with an all-powerful smartphone that they build themselves. Right. And it had all of these things that I really liked and thought were interesting idea wise and that you know i uh almost anti-stranger things right it's got bad kids not like wholesome ones yeah and it's the anti-big tech idea of you know rights to repair and like do things with your own technology yeah and it's got sort of um anti uh corporate adventure story that even gets into the like MK Ultra conspiracy theory territory. It just was a was a an amalgam of all of the things that I think yeah. make a free movie idea. Yeah. And um it was the one that out of all of the ones that I'd selected for that project was like the most promising and the least like attitude in a way. That it yeah, wasn't yeah. Gonna, like there was it could be like a fun, about. you could see yourself writing like a fun like Spielbergian Zemeckis style thing and like kind yeah. of have, having a conversation with an audience and stuff. And are you happy with how that turned out? Yeah, it was like fun and it's silly and it still does feel like a Zemeckis like Spielberg type of like adventure. It's like a sci-fi adventure fantasy. And uh what's cool to be able to look at with it is that there are some marks that it's really hard to hit uh when you're doing this from scratch with that sort of a deadline i'm a big outliner and Mm -hmm. i'm actually curious to ask in your process um how deep you go into uh understanding like not only the nuts and bolts but the entire arrangement of the story before you write it yeah, so I'm big into outlines, mostly for the mechanics of the story and some motivation. Um, then what ends up usually happening in the scripts that I've tried to produce is like I will go through an entire draft, pretty faithful to an outline with some modifications as characters demand, you know, um, as you learn who they are and stuff. And then almost without fail, 
will throw out the first draft and realize when I'm done with it, that it actually needs to go in a slightly different direction or just be revamped altogether. Then I will write like a new outline that usually takes me like a day to write because I can see it all in my head. And then that second script is, uh, I write it usually uh, like, like half, it takes me half as long to write the second version, which is really the <laughs> first draft of a totally new thing, different than the initial thing that I usually have pitched or, you know, or like believe is like gonna be the project. And that's how um, a bunch of projects have actually gone. Last basically four feature scripts I've written have all been like that. Um, yeah. Um, the, I'm on a thing right now where I pitched to um, something to a studio and I had to kind of, I knew in the pit, the treatment pitch process before I went for it, I was, I gave myself a lot of time and I was like, okay, I know I'm going to not like the initial one. So then it was like a week before we had to hand it in. It was already done with one. And I was like, I like this. I like this. And then I woke up in the middle of the night. I was like, this is fucked. And then um, <laughs> my co-writer and I spent like basically like a two days straight, totally doing a totally different pitch, totally different treatment. And I came up with like a totally different deck for the pitch. Yeah. And then we sent that in. Um, but yeah, I don't know why I have to work through it all to realize there's like a better idea buried underneath it, but. You do, cause you gotta be able to like yeah. stand back and look at the thing. And that's where it got with Tommy was like, I finished with maybe, you know, a couple of hours to spare before November <laughs> became December. And yeah. I was happy about it. But like, now I look at it and I'm like, okay, you know, if I'm gonna actually write this movie, it's gonna be a very different movie. Cause it's this funny thing that I only understand now after uh, watching the most recent Brad Trammell video, which shout out Brad Trammell, because that's the reason that I know you. Oh, cool. Um, and actually where we met was um, through Brad at chat room oh. way back then. But where, was, was, know, chat, was chat room the class that he had? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I love I love that class. He taught a class at uh, Bruce High Quality, and uh, what we'd never met before that, Emerson. No, and yeah. um, afterwards we went on a walk. I walked you to a KGB bar yeah. where I didn't even know that filmmakers went, and yeah. uh, I was all I was all mad because suddenly it was like, holy shit! Like this guy's smarter than me. He makes films <laughs> and is going to this like filmmaker bar and I was like you know do you smoke weed and you were like nah man I've never smoked a puff in my life and I was like fuck I don't trust him at all yeah <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm, like, jo I'm Joan of Narc but uh but, but I remember that class was really fun and there were a bunch of really like cool and smart people in it and Brad brought a bunch of great guests and it was you know I like the learning part of school and so that was like a school where it was all just about learning Mm -hmm. um and there's no like i mean the social stuff came very organically out of the learning stuff so yeah i'm, gl I'm glad we met there and i think i was probably jealous of you because you probably had like a cool like job like oh man this guy's a fucking like he's working at vice <laughs> he yeah, he, like, he cool. control he controls the culture <laughs> this guy this that. guy's one of these evil puppet masters of the culture I mean, when was yeah, that? That, when, that must have been around, what, 2012, 2013? Yeah, probably 2012, 2013. Um, yeah. And that was when, uh, I don't know, things still felt like, at least Vice still felt like it was like 
becoming a, at the center of the conversation. Yeah, um, yeah, it's too much, too much, cor- too much corporate influence. Anyway, but final point. Brad. Yeah, what yeah. Brad was talking about is how like um, the worst thing that you can do uh, is just make something that people like, mm. right? It's in order to get something to actually hit today, you have to make something that gets people upset on one side or the other and you got to get them fighting with each other about it now i don't think that's totally like the best way to make an artwork or anything like that but what i I don't think that's true like i mean like i love brad and i i i think he is an original thinker uh and he look there he's super anti like academic art speak which i really Mm -hmm. respect him for but he does continue a, a look a valuable tradition of kind of like art-minded um, kind of cultural critics um, examining things through like contradictory kind of dialectics and stuff. And I don't think those people always necessarily, like they're a little bit too beholden to their big conclusions like Brad. And it's like, well then what about a fucking super duper popular video of like a cute like little bird that's friends with like a cute puppy. Right, that everybody like, like everybody fucking likes that. And I think like, you know, or like when someone you know, like, you know, succeeds or is happy and shares that happiness, that also, you know, is something you can vicariously kind of live through them. So there are other modes of attention beyond like conflict generating modes, you know, like. Absolutely, absolutely. But in this case, this was the, and is sort of sometimes the problem with, you know, the success of free movie ideas as an account on Instagram is that like at best, right? People are like, oh, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) And then they move on to the next thing. And that was the issue that I have with Tommy. And if I were to go back through and actually like, rejigger this whole thing it's that like too many of the ideas that i have about you know uh, a non-binary main character yeah, and yeah about um um you know the conspiracies that are built into it and the understanding of like technology yeah, yeah, yeah. the you know it's, it's just like it's too pleasant right uh-huh. like you just you like it and you're like oh okay and then you move on to the next thing and so it's readable but it doesn't actually capture the feeling of um but maybe that but I, maybe you're maybe, just a, maybe you're just a pleasant guy and maybe part of that maybe, maybe part that of is an true. extension of your soul is to do something pleasant i don't think that the i think the the to me the imperative of uh popular artist that is someone working in popular mediums is not to necessarily make something that makes people feel good or bad but it is to make observations about human existence and human reality that have not been made yet or to calibrate your observation in a way that um can everyone can kind of be like wow like that's not a perspective i've seen on experience yet like that is truly our um, challenge, in my opinion, and 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 to to kind of f- find these kind of experiential truths, and whether you want to verbalize them or visualize them or put them in through a kind of like a montage presentation in a way that people just haven't really kind of come to conclusions about um, experience or each other yet. That's the major challenge, and. Um, 
and whether that makes people feel really good about reality or really bad about themselves is, is ultimately actually is not even on you, you know, you all, sure, the, sure. the only thing, because otherwise you're making polemical stuff. That's like telling people how to think and how to feel, but really our challenge is I think to, um, yeah, locate these kind of on as, as of yet unrepresented, you know, sort of observations and experiences. That's, that's the reason for the second draft, right? Is that right. you can, you can go back and see what it is that you were trying to say yep. and actually say it in the later one. And that's where I got with the idea in, in executing it over the course of a month. I'm like, wow. Yeah, I guess I have that skill mm. now. Yeah. But also like the ability to like say something in a certain amount of time in one draft feels crazy to me and something to aspire to something that I don't know that I have the ability to do yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that also speaks to another experience I have, which is like, you honestly shouldn't really be super precious about a first draft. Um, right. Like it should just kind of what they call a vomit draft. You should kind of just let it all out. Um, and if it's not flowing out of you naturally, that honestly means it's just, you're not made for the material. That's just how I feel. Like if you're putting in hours per day, doing something and it's just not coming out of you, like you just don't get it. Like it's not, don't try it. Just pick it, get, figure out a different idea. Um, and that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, or, or, or gift the idea to someone that you think would get it, you know, post Let it on Instagram. Exactly. Posted Instagram. Well, thanks very much, Emerson, for joining us and sharing thanks your process and your ideas with Director's Commentary. Um, it's been really fun. We should check in with you once a year just to go through some new ideas. I think that was a really fun Yeah, time. I mean, there'll certainly be a lot more of them. And, uh, if, you know, there was that one idea once upon a time about those two influencers who try to sabotage each other's lives. If you do ever want to go back to that you hey, we, we can check in. I'm, I, I might be, I might be finding a, a slower period, although who knows, but let's, let's check in anyway. I mean, we just talked for two hours for the show. We can certainly talk for two hours about a potentially good movie. Well, great. You'll be hearing from my people. Okay. Good. <laughs> All right. Bye Emerson. Thanks buddy. Bye. See ya. See ya. Um, and that has been another episode of the cast director's commentary i hope you uh, guys enjoyed that if you watch the video you can see the um free movie idea posts up on the screen uh while we talk about them but hopefully this also made sense as just an audio experience um yeah if you want to see it you can join the patreon and if not um i hope you guys enjoyed the show and uh talk to you next time okay if you keep watching them we'll keep making them Gene Kalarenko for director's commentary.